0: As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and my friends, we're waiting for you. And the we is me, Denise, and Paul. Hey, sweetie pie.
1: Hi, Rick. And Home Group, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Are you enjoy listening about our foundations of our faith? We have to have these foundations set in place or when these winds of change come, it's gonna, it's, it's going to affect us. And Jesus wants us to be so grounded in his truth that when those winds come, and there's so many winds coming right now that we say, no, this is my Bible this is the Word of God, this is the Word of God to me, and I'm not moving from this place. And
0: it is absolute truth. It is unchanging. Culture's changing. And by the way, whatever they're trying to cancel today, they're going to try to cancel something else next year. It's just an upheaval all the time. You need to stick with that. That never changes. And in fact, we saw last night that these doctrines are themelios, they're supposed to be set in stone in your life. They're unmoving, unflinching, unchanging. But by the way, we want you to have the whole study guide for free. Just go to our website, renner.org. Here it is. Wow, it's 10 lessons. It is big. I mean, you can use this and build your life on it. It'll be a blessing to you. And we're also offering you the full series, which comes in audio, video, all kinds of different formats. And it's without Denise and Paul, it's just me. So it is really loaded, even with so much more than we're able to do in home group. And we're also offering you right now my book called Ten Guidelines to Help You Achieve Your Long-Awaited Promotion. But hey, if you need prayer, please let us know. We really mean it when we say we want to pray for you. Just write us at prayer at renner.org. We'll pray for you. Or call us one 800 742 5593, leave a message. We'll call you back. And we want to really pray with you for whatever you're dealing with in your life. That would be our privilege. But are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6, where we're talking about foundations of faith. I enjoyed talking about repentance so much yesterday. We could barely even stop. Well, we're going to talk about it again. It just kept just coming, a bit. coming. All right, let's go. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles. Of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. We saw that the word principles is the word our case. And here it describes rudimentary knowledge or the ABCs. You can't ignore your ABCs. You have to learn them and then go on. But this verse says God's will is for you not to get stuck there. The problem is most people never started there. You know why? Now, I'm not nitpicking on pastors. I am a pastor. But so many pastors are not teaching the Bible verse by verse anymore that people don't know real basic things. People know exciting sermons about Daniel and the lion's den and the miracles that Jesus worked, and all that's great. Amen, amen, amen. I like it too. But when you teach verse by verse in the Bible, you are required to look at every verse every question, every issue and that's what really establishes you. And you can't go on to profound, deep spirituality until first you've had the ABCs. If a child, for example, never went to elementary school but said very sincerely, I really desire to be a brain surgeon, would you say, you know what? We're going to put a scalpel in your hand. Your heart Is So sincere. We want you to get going No, you would not do that who would want for somebody to perform brain surgery on you who can't even read You'd say you know what that desire is good, but let's start with first grade Let's start where you need to start and then build on top of that. Well, there's a lot of Christians that are trying to perform spiritual surgery and do really advanced things and they're not even established in the basics. It is not an insult to realize you need to go back to the basics. That's a good thing, that's a good thing. When you have the basics, then you can really start building your life and advancing. And that's what this verse says,
2: eventually a moment comes when you become so established in the basics that you can begin to move on. I really like your teaching based on First Timothy chapter four verse six, where you says put into remembrance, mm-hmm. because people come to church and immediately there's a church, immediately there's people, immediately people need to be taught, uh, and when you when you start to serve people or, or when the church kind of springs up, it doesn't spring up with the basics. It just all of a sudden it just shows up. The people start coming to church, and then you have to start reminding people or putting a foundation under people's lives. And that's the job of those who already have a foundation. Our job is to put foundations under people's lives.
0: And it doesn't matter how naturally brilliant you are or how educated you are. If you're new in Christ, you need the ABCs. It has nothing to do with natural education. We're talking about God's Word. These are foundational issues in our life. But it says, let us go on under perfection... The word perfection is the Greek word teleotes, the very word used to describe a child who graduates perpetually from one grade up into the next grade, up into the next grade, up into the next grade, grade, which means in Christ, there is the potential for you to keep graduating all your life into another realm. I like to think about the Apostle John who was on the Isle of Patmos. You know how John was when he was on the Isle of Patmos? We think probably 92 years old. He had walked with Jesus. He had served Jesus for more than 60 years. But on the Isle of Patmos, he had a brand new revelation of Jesus he had never previously had in his life. At the end of his life, he was still being promoted. So never think that you know it all because you don't. But you're not going to go to the next level till you get an A in the current level. The Bible says we're to go from glory to glory. You know how most people read that? My life is such a mess. I'm ready to get out of this mess and go to the next level of glory. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't say you go from mess to glory. It says you go from glory to glory. You receive perfection. You, you grow in where you are. And then you go on. And then you go on. So if you want to get to the next level of glory, then you've got to make the level that you're in glorious because we go from glory to glory. Isn't that helpful? All right, let's look at it some more. It says we're to leave and go on. This word, leave really means forward movement. Once we know the basics, then we're able to move on. And the Bible tells us in verse 2 that we are to know the foundation of repentance from dead works. Let's just stop there for a moment, the word repentance. We saw last night that the word repentance, the Greek word metanoia, from the word meta, which describes a change or a turn, and the word noia from nous, which is the word for the mind, it means to make a decision to be different to change your behavior or to turn around. Has nothing to do with emotion. It might come with emotion. I would say most of the time, even in my life today, when the Holy Spirit tells me to repent of something, I don't feel any repentance. I don't feel any sorrow at all. I just have to acknowledge this is wrong. This is wrong. I need to change. I am so thankful that when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, Rick, you have watched too much television. I don't have to say, "Oh God, oh God," and beat myself up in order to repent. All I have to do is say, "Thank you very much," and turn the TV off. That is repentance. Repentance is a change of behavior in response to your acknowledgment that something is wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a reaction to the truth that you've received. It's 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 embracing that truth. And also when we embrace that truth, we are aligning ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We're aligning ourselves with his will in that subject. And when we align ourselves, it's like what Rick said. We go from glory to glory. Well, we see that we're wrong. We repent. We change our mind. We agree with the Holy Spirit. We line up with him. Well, guess what? He's ready to show us something else and bring us into another glory.
0: And the thing is, when you make a decision to change according to what God has told you or what the Bible has told you you need to do, you don't change by yourself because the Holy Spirit attaches himself to that kind of behavior. Oh. He comes to help you. Now, when I was a boy, I got really confused about repentance. and I don't want to tell you about it. I got saved when I was five years old. You say, well, can a five-year-old get saved? I did. Denise was seven. Paul, how old were you when you got saved? Probably six or seven. Well, my story was the church began to sing either Just As I Am or I Surrender All. That's basically all we sang in the invitation. And I walked down to the front, took the hand of the pastor. I didn't weep. I didn't cry. I just knew... I needed to make a decision to give my life to Jesus. You know why I didn't cry? Because when you're five years old, you don't have a lot to repent from. You don't have a lot to cry about. I hadn't robbed a bank, hadn't committed adultery, hadn't, I hadn't done anything. I was just old enough to know I needed to make a decision. decision. That's what's required. Well I got saved, was really saved, and guys that afternoon the pastor came to my house And he sat in our living room and he said, Ricky, that was called Ricky because it was just five years old, Ricky, you need to be water baptized. And we want to baptize you tonight. But before we baptize you, I want to really make sure you understood what you did today. So he talked with me and understood that I understood I had made a decision to give my life to Jesus. So that night I was water baptized. Our church was so old, the floor was tile. There was a Dr. Pepper clock that hung on the back wall of the church and we had rotating fans on the ceiling because back in those days there was not air conditioning, period, it didn't exist. At the back of the baptistry had a hand-painted scene of the Jordan River.
1: Oh, ours too. You just described our church.
0: Remember, oh. churches often had the Jordan River. And I was so little that the pastor knew if I came into the baptistry, nobody in the audience would be able to see me. So he put a folding chair in the baptistry. He walked me down into the water. He was wearing those big plastic, uh, what do they call Waders? Waders. He would for, wear his suit and just put on waders. For like a fisherman. Yeah, for like a fisherman. Oh. Walked me into the baptistry. <laughs> he picked me up and put me on that chair. And I remember, oh, I could see over the ledge out into the auditorium and they could see me. And I was baptized. I was really saved. But by the next Sunday, I was in total confusion. You know why? Because I watched other people who came forward to get saved, particularly adults. And when they came down to the front, they cried, they wept, they sobbed, ay, 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 ay. And the woman who worked the altar always had a box of Kleenex. I called her the Kleenex woman. <laughs> and so she would bring them boxes, and they would empty boxes of Kleenex, weeping and wailing and carrying on. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I'm saved. Because when I made my decision, I didn't shed a tear. i was five years old and I'm already thinking about this. And this went on and on and on. I also noticed at our annual revival meetings, there would be people that would come forward. And wow, it was so spectacularly dramatic. They're crying, they're weeping, they're wailing. And here would come the Kleenex woman and they would empty boxes of Kleenex. I'm repenting. I'm rededicating my life. It just looked so sincere. But guess what? They walked out the door and never came back. And finally it dawned on me. Those people were not repenting. Because repentance is a decision to change. change. They didn't change anything. You know what they were doing? They were doing exactly what Judas Iscariot did in Matthew 27 verse 3 where the Bible says he repented himself. That word is the word metamelomai, which means to be engulfed in sorrow, to be engulfed in regret that leads to no change. A lot of those people were really saying, I'm so sorry for what I've done, and I'm probably never going to change. Oh, God, please have mercy on me because
2: I'm such a mess. And I feel so terrible about it, but I don't want to do anything to change.
0: Or because of their emotion, they couldn't make a decision. They were not really
2: repenting. They were just sorrowful. Or perhaps, I mean, perhaps they were very sincere in what they were doing, but they were expecting somehow a supernatural act of God to change them instead of them, instead of them actually having to make their own decision. But repentance is one's personal decision. Mm-hmm.
0: It is a decision to conform to what God says. It's really what it is. You don't have to cry at all. Uh, I, it's like I said when the boys were young. Particularly, Joel, he was so funny. I mean, when it was time to discipline Joel, ay, 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 it was. You
1: could hear him screaming from the hallway before he even got to the place where we spanked.
0: I mean, it was really a drama. And I would say, Joel, cut it out. I am not interested in those tears. I'm interested in you making a change. That's what repentance means. You don't have to feel bad to quit smoking, you just quit. You're just adjusting to what God says. That's what repentance is. You don't have to feel bad to eat right. You just make a decision. If you're talking ugly to somebody, for example, there are moments sometimes, not often, thank God, that sometimes Denise will say, Rick, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't say that again on television because that hurt my feelings. I don't have to say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I hurt Denise's feelings. Come on, that's a waste of time. I just adjust. That's what repentance is. I think this is really helpful.
1: A really helpful. Can I add something sure, there? Sure. Sure. You know, sometimes I mean, repentance is, is a decision. Yes and Amen. But sometimes when you get in His presence,
0: you do cry. You do feel. Emotion. You're
1: overwhelmed. It's very his, possible. By His goodness, by His ability for you to repent, for, for his ability to bring change in your life, for his ability for you to have victory in some kind of area. You're overwhelmed that he did that for you, and that's thankfulness and worship.
0: But the first doctrine in this list is repentance from dead works, and dead works is a lot of that moaning and groaning and regret. That is just dead works. Just get over that. Now, if you cry, that's Okay. If you don't cry, that's okay. What's most important is you make a decision. And the Bible says it is the foundation of repentance. You've got to get this straight. It is your foundation. But we have to go on to number two. It goes on to say, and faith toward God. I can just hear somebody say, well, what are they going to say about that? Everybody knows what that means, faith toward God. No, most people don't have a clue. First of all, the word faith is the word pistis. And the word faith in Greek, the word pistis, describes something that is projecting forward away from you. So it's no self-reliance. Oh, that is so important. No self-reliance. Faith toward, the word toward in Greek is the word epi. It's a bad translation. If it was the word toward, it would be the word pros, or it would be the word eis. It is not that. It is the word epi. It is faith up on God, and it pictures one who has projected his faith forward away from himself, which means no self-salvation, no self-reform, no self-reliance. It is faith that is projecting epi up on God and God alone. This is one casting himself entirely upon the work of the cross mm. for his salvation. Mm. Why is this a foundation of our faith? because many people don't do that. Many people, if you talk to them, you ask them why they're going to go to heaven, even people in the church, they'll say, well, I've been good. So what? It's not going to get you to heaven. That's self-trust. I've been good to my grandparents. I have really taken care of my parents. That's all good. That will not get you to heaven. Your good works will never get you to heaven. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 says we were created for good works, but we don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are, we saved. are saved. We are saved. Yeah. Not to get saved. It's the fruit of being
1: saved. Yeah.
0: But it's casting yourself entirely on the work of the cross himself.
2: Mm.
0: Now, let me use the example of this chair. All right, I'm sitting in this chair. You know why? Because you trust it. I trust it. In fact, when I sat in this chair, I know it's going to hold me. I put my full weight on this chair. You might say, my faith is on this chair. I know it will hold me up. I don't worry that it will collapse. This chair will hold me. Well, when you place your faith in Christ, this is foundational. It means you're not trusting in anything else. You're not trusting in the Ten Commandments. I hope not because you can't do it. You're not trusting in being good. You're not trusting in the fact that you've been fair to other people, that you've been forgiving. Those are all great things. Those things will not get you to heaven. If you say, well, you know what? I'm as good as anybody. Well, then you're in bad shape. You might say, well... I've always given my tithe and my offering. That will not get you to heaven. I've been to church all my life. I've been a member of the church all my life. Think how many people in the denominational world today think they're going to heaven because they were baptized as an infant. That is tragic. Do you know how many people are church members and they're unsaved? They are unsaved. If they're trusting in anything, other than the saving work of the cross in Jesus' blood, they are in eternal trouble.
2: You're using the words faith and trust almost interchangeable here. Well, they really are. And I like that because sometimes when we say faith, the, I think religion uh, or religiousness, is that a word, religiousness? Yeah. I think it's done something terrible to the word faith. Sometimes when people say the word faith, you don't really know what they're, ex- what they're talking about. They may be talking about a power. They may be talking about a doctrine. They may be talking about a denomination or a type of church. There are so many different things that you can mean or <laughs> understand by saying the word, simply by saying the word faith. I really like to say the word trust. I fully trust trust. Jesus Christ. I trust on Him. I put my trust in Him." Because when we say the word trust, we're, we're saying it in the simplest way we can possibly say it. Now, of course, the word faith and the word trust are interchangeable, but when we say trust towards God or faith towards God, trust upon God... It's really upon. It, it's a better way to simplify it, because faith could mean, could mean so many things. But do you really trust Him? And by trusting Him, means you have to trust what He said. And then faith without works is dead. So your trust, without showing that you trust Him, you could say, I trust that chair, but never sit on it. Well then, prove your trust. And so by proving your trust in God, you actually do what the Bible says. So there are so many ways to show your faith or show others that you actually trust Jesus.
0: But because the word faith... In Greek it describes something that's being projected outward, it means there's no self-reliance. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're listening to me today, or if you know anybody in your church who says, "Well, you know you what, know, Jesus did a lot for me, and, and and, you know, I've done a lot good. They're in trouble. They may not really be born again. They may know the language of the church and the songs of the church. They may even know how to behave like a good Christian. They may know the lingo of the church. But if there is anything in them trusting in anything, except the work of the cross, they're not saved. Do you see how foundational this is? I mean, this is the bare basics of Christianity. It's a faith projecting forward on him, 100% on him, no self-reliance, no self-renovation, no self-improvement, do all those things, that's good. But you do them for you, that's not gonna get you saved. The only way you're going to be saved is by casting yourself completely epi upon, on the work of the cross. Mm. Jesus, I'm going to heaven because of what you did for me. I'm trusting mm-hmm. in you and you alone, in Christ alone.
1: Mm-hmm. Isn't that powerful? I love it.
0: And that's so liberating. Mm-hmm. Then you're not in a religious rigmarole of trying to do things to earn brownie points with God. When you really trust in Christ, you're so freed that you want to do lots of good things out of a grateful heart. You still do good works, but you do them for a different reason. This is important. But when we come back tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the doctrine of baptisms. It's plural. Could you pass a test on the doctrine of baptisms? Oh, don't miss tomorrow night. I think it's going to be revelatory to you. But if you need prayer, write us prayer at or call us 1-800-542-9973. We want to pray for you. But thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so
2: more people can see it.